wonderful spirit of worship in this place today. Praise God, the Lord is here. If you came to meet the Lord, you came to the right place because he's here. Amen. Glory to God. Anybody that can't preach after something like that just doesn't have much preach in him, does he? I'm so glad you're here to hear this music, to share this music, to be blessed by it. I'm glad you're here also to receive the Word of God. I was asked to preach something about the questions of life today. I usually try to comply if it's at all possible when I get special requests. And because of today being what it is, we've invited people to come to church. I hope there are a lot of people here to hear this message that it will be very meaningful to you, and, and, uh, But I am going to tell you, when I begin to think about and talk about the, the um, imponderable and improbable questions of life, I find myself becoming more and more simple in the way I look at things. I've been through universities. I've sat in classrooms in Christian colleges. I've sat in classrooms of public universities that were far from Christian. I've heard the philosophies of the professors and I've heard the philosophies of the men that they quote and they teach. I've listened to a lot of it. I've absorbed a lot of it. I've believed very little of it. Because I found it doesn't matter where it's taught. It doesn't matter who says it. No matter who declares it. Unless it comports with the Word of God, matches up to it line for line, item for item, precept by precept, unless it matches with the Word of God, it's false. It doesn't matter who says it, doesn't matter where it comes from. And so I'm going to talk to you today about the imponderable, improbable questions of life. And the questions that I'm going to present to you do not necessarily require profound answers, though the people who are asking those questions will be shocked to hear that. I think, in fact, that these questions that I'm going to bring to you today are rather easily answered. And maybe, again, I'm just being very simple. I'd rather be simple than complicated. Most people can understand simple. A lot of people can't understand complicated. So I try to be just as simple as I can be. And most of the time, that's not hard for me. I just can do it. It's just a part of my nature to be able to do that. I was walking through a graduate school complex down the hallway one occasion many years ago when I was in graduate school. And one of my professors looked out from his office and saw me walking by. And he meaning something entirely different from what I would take it to mean. He called out to me and said, Hey, Bill, have you done anything for your soul today? Now, he's not thinking about soul in the way we think of it. It made no spiritual connotation to him. And so I turned and I said, Well, yes, as a matter of fact, and I started his way. And he said, Well, that's okay, good, that's great. <laughs> that was all. He didn't realize when he asked the question who he was asking it to. Well, so here I am today to present to you improbable questions. In, in, in some people would say impossible questions. But I will tell you that the Bible says 
There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In fact, it says it two times. It's exactly the same words. In the 14th chapter of Proverbs, in the 12th verse, and again in the 16th chapter of Proverbs, the 25th verse. The identical verses, both those chapters of Proverbs. And both of them say there is a way that seems right to man. But the end of that way is death. Because what seems right isn't necessarily always right. We have to go by not what others say, not what others teach, not even by the experiences of life. We have to go by one guide, one unalterable, one infallible guide for our lives, and that guide, whether it's the English Standard Version or the New King James Version or the Standard King James Version or the New Standard Bible, it is all true, and this is God's Word, which is our guide. Amen. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will invade every further second of this service today, that your words may be spoken with your anointing and your power, with your authority, and above all, Lord, may there be no shadow upon the truth that is declared from this pulpit today. May it all be light and favor and glory and blessing as we see the power of God revealed in the, in the written and spoken word that is brought to into our lives. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way to death. That's the English Standard Version of the verse that I just gave you. I was looking up these great, great questions of life, and I saw on the Internet just un almost, almost unlimited numbers of people who want to talk about that question. So realizing that I couldn't look at all of them, wouldn't have time to do anything else, if I tried to even read all of them, I found one that said the ten greatest philosophical questions of all time. And I thought, wow, I found what I need to open my message with. And so I clicked on that, and I began to read these ten greatest philosophical questions of all time. And this is the list of those questions. Perhaps you've asked some of these questions yourself. A lot of them you might have asked when you weren't in your right mind. I mean, you could have been doped up on medication. You could have been inebriated. You could have been, not most of you, of course, but some people could. <laughs> and not have a consciousness of what they were asking. But here are the questions. I'm going to start at, at this is, this, I, I remind you, this is the compilation of questions on one person. I don't think he had a committee of 100. I don't think he had a council group. And he said, what do we all believe? I think he just wrote down these are the greatest questions, and I guess these were the first thing he thought of. But here they are. Number one, what am I supposed to do? I can answer that question. I'm not going to take time to answer one of these questions, but I have the answer to that question. How can I know anything? That's number two. I can answer that too. Number three. How do I know what is right and wrong? Now, these are the 
ten greatest philosophical questions of all time, I remind you. And so number four is, who am I? All four of these questions have got something about I, 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 I in them. It's all the greatest questions of life are all about me or you or whoever happens to be asking them. Number five, why all this stuff and not some other stuff? Now, that's a great question. I can't answer that one because I don't know what it means. Number six, why is there something rather than nothing? Did I just read that one? Oh, no, no, I, I don't, okay, kind of, yeah, well, a little, little bit confusing here. Okay, so that's number six. Number seven question is, what happens next? I can tell you that, too. I can answer that question. Number eight, what is the relationship between mind and body? Nature and nurture. The old argument. And number nine, now we get really, really deep. Finally, we get to something. Number nine of the greatest ten questions is, what is the meaning of life? Whew. I can give you one verse out of the Bible that tells you that. But. And then the tenth question, this is number ten now. This is not number one question. This is number ten question in the order of importance of the ten greatest philosophical questions of, of all time. Number ten, the question is, does God exist? I can answer that one, too. I can answer almost all these questions. The only questions here that I can't answer is the ones I don't understand what he's talking about. So maybe those are the ones. But you see, simple people just dwell on simple things. And so I'm just going to go to one of these questions. I, I could try to answer each one of them, but that would be time-consuming, and I've got something to say about all of them in the conglomerate, so I'm not going to talk about them individually. Not by any means I'm going to talk about them individually. But the one question, and this is number four. Number four in importance, number four, was the question, who am I? Do you know who you are? Does anybody here knows who you are? No, not many of you. <laughs> Everybody who knows who you are, raise your hand. You know who you are? Okay, all right. Now, so the greatest philosophical question of, 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 of time, one of the greatest ones, number four in importance, you got the answer to that. I could have told you if you didn't know, if, if you've got a driver's license, pull it out of your wallet or your purse and pull it out. It's got your picture on it right there and got your name right there. Pretty simple to find out who you are. Who am I? Well, whatever your name is, not, that's not quite important. The most important is that you know who you are. And what's even more important is that God knows who you are. If this is a philosophical question, then I'm not giving you a philosophical answer. I think I'm giving you a reality answer. The Word of God declares who you are. And the great thing about the Word of God is it proclaims who you are if you are in Christ. Because then you're the creation that God has planned for for eternity, prepared for for eternity, and you're ready for eternity. When you're in Christ. So now, we are interested in, perhaps not in these so-called ten great questions of life, but we are interested in the answer to the questions of life that matter. When I was coming up to the time of, of really realizing my need in life, I didn't know that it was the Lord Jesus Christ that I needed 
It took a revelation of him by the Holy Spirit to make him known to me when he was an unknown person, an unknown quantity to me. All I knew was a name, Jesus. But as I came led by the Holy Spirit into the altar of touching God for my forgiveness and salvation, I had a lot of answers put in me to which I had yet not even yet asked a question. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, you may not have you may not be of the age or you may not be of the of the disposition to have asked the penetrating questions about yourself and the philosophy of life. But whether you have or not, the answers have come to you once Jesus has embraced you and brought you to himself and you have become what the Bible calls in Christ. You're in Christ when you come to salvation and Christ is in you. And that's a change of revelation like you've never had before. This is the way Jesus explained it when he talks about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's ministry. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. That is what he hears from the Father. He will speak. That shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. This is what the Amplified Version says of that verse. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, full and complete truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but he will speak whatever he hears from the Father. The message regarding the Son. And he will disclose to you what is to come, what is to come in your life, how your life is to develop, where your life is to progress, into what level you are to come. He will reveal that to you as he speaks truth to you. Now, I'm going to tell you that there are people out there who want to tell you the answers to that. There are other people who want to take the place of the Holy Spirit. There are college professors who want to tell you that they know all about life or make you think that they do. And they want to disabuse your faith in God. They want to change you from what you have culturally accumulated in a, in a, in a Christian family and in a Christian life. You need to learn, every single one of us, whether we're listening to the television, whether we're reading something sent to us in the mail, whether somebody is telling us something on Facebook, and on and on and on. Whatever you're hearing, that is the philosophy of this world, that presents the message of this world, is a wrong message for your life. The philosophy of this world will confuse you. It will distort your mentality. It will disrupt your spirituality, it will misguide you into wrong directions. The philosophy of this world is a false philosophy because the philosophy of this world is based on what can the world do for me. The philosophy of this world is prevalent in everything that we see, in everything that we do. The philosophy of the world is out there for us. We can accept it or we can reject it. The answer, when you hear a position of the world, when you hear something prescribed by and within the confines of the world's philosophy, look to God's Word to see what the true answer is, because that's where you will get the truth. 
You will not necessarily always get the truth in the classroom. You won't necessarily always get the truth in a courtroom. You won't necessarily always get the truth anywhere else that you may be or where you may hear the issues of life discussed. But you can be sure of this. When you open the pages of this book and you properly and accurately and spiritually read this book and discern it by the Holy Spirit in your life, you will get the truth on every issue that you face. You will get the answer on every question that you have, and you will find that your answer is victory. It is overcoming power. It is overwhelming, conquering. This book is the answer revealed by the Spirit of God. So the wisdom of the world is a pseudo-wisdom. You see, you listen to the Democrat Party, and they will make you think that we ought to have no borders, we ought to have an unlimited abortion, that we ought to do all this in order to be accepting of everybody and be diverse. You listen to the Republicans, and they are just a little echoing voice of just about everything the Democrats say. The only difference in the Republicans and the Democrats is the, Republic, the Democrats say it louder and the Republicans listen to it and pay attention to it. That's not political. I mean, I'm just, just I'm preaching to you about the philosophy of the world. And that's where the philosophy of the world resides. The philosophy of the world resides in what is said to the public, declared to the public. Most of what we hear is termed today fake news. I just say most of what we hear is just pure garbage. I, 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 I read, sometimes I read the news until I can't read anymore. doesn't take me long to get to that place now. I don't mean I spend an hour or two. I mean, after a few minutes, I read about all I can, all I can take, and I want to reject everything I've read because I see falsity in it and I see untruth in it. What I want to recognize is who is the one who is really the, who is the spreader of truth, who is the declarer of the truth. And you won't find that. I'm not talking about uh, media now. I'm just making a point to you. You won't find that on the talking heads on TV. They'll tell you what they think. They'll tell you what somebody told them. That doesn't mean that what they're telling you is true. Don't take it as being true. Listen to it if you want to, as long as you know that you don't have to take that. That's not the gospel you're listening to. When you listen to the Word of God and you know who is speaking, and they're speaking the true Word of God, then you know you're hearing the truth. And so here's, here's where we come to. The world's philosophy stands on its own. It's backed up by Plato and Socrates and, and, uh, and, and, and some of the uh, earlier religious leaders who had enlightened but not, but not great revelation. But the philosophy of the world is declared by God not to be wise, but to be foolish. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture this morning. Right out of my ubiquitous iPad. Where I can read it to you from many versions, but I'm going to read it to you from one. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it starts at verse 20. Well, it starts actually at, at verse 20. Yes, okay. So this is, the, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians and speaking to them in a, in a place where there was worldly wisdom, where there was seeking of learning among the Greeks. 
There, there was a, an attempt to reason out everything and base it all on logic and learning. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now Paul is saying that the world looks at what we preach and the message we declare as foolishness, as folly. This is not a workable plan. You're not addressing the answers that we need in our lives when you preach the gospel of salvation through the cross of Christ and his resurrection. It's impossible that one man could die for all the sins of the world and bring peace to the lives of people who are living in uncertainty and questions and, 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 and lack of understanding. It's impossible that one person can do that. So that's the philosophy of the world. But Paul says our philosophy which is called foolish by the world, proclaims that the philosophy of the world is in itself foolishness. Because the foolishness of God is greater than the so-called wisdom of men. Nothing surpasses the value of truth in the cross of Jesus Christ, his death for our sins, and his resurrection for our justification, and our translation to heaven. Nothing taught in all the world in all of time, whether past, present, or ever will be taught, nothing that's ever been taught surpasses that message. It is the wisdom of the ages, and it's the wisdom of eternity, because it is the plan that works, and God's plan, though the world may see it as foolish, is wise in every aspect, wiser than any plan the world's ever put forth. <coughs> So, but those who are called, for the, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Jews needed power, the Greeks needed wisdom, he's power and wisdom. For, and this, and this is continuing what Paul wrote now, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. What they call foolishness is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when the world says the message of the cross is foolishness, but their message is wisdom, Paul says that God's foolishness is greater than the wisdom of men. When they say the message of God is weak, a man surrenders himself and gives up death to provide redemption, that that's weak, and their message is strong, because self-sufficiency and self-reliance is strong and causes men to rise and grow. When philosophy of the world says that, and they dispute the philosophy of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, Paul says that weakness that they proclaim in God is greater than the strength that they proclaim in themselves. So the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. His God is supreme. Hallelujah. His truth reigns above all. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I bring you to this. Because I'm trying to tell you now that the answers you're looking for are in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying don't get an education. I'm not saying don't go to school. 
I told you already, I went to a few universities. I learned a little bit. Maybe I learned a lot. I learned what to believe and what not to believe, for one thing. Never found my faith shaken by anything that was taught to me in a university classroom, no matter how many degrees the professor had who was talking to me. I never found my faith shaken. And there's a reason for that. Because long before I knew any of them, long before I met one of those, before I met the first professor who ever challenged my faith, before I ever met him, before I ever knew he existed, long before that, before I met anybody who came up to me and told me that I was a fool for being a Christian, and I've been told that, before I met any of them, I'd already met the man who made a difference. I'd already met the man who showed me the truth. I'd already met the man who made me know, who made me know that his message is the supreme message. He's the one who's right, right in all things, because he can do the miracles nobody else can do. He can answer prayer that nobody else can answer. He can do what nobody else can accomplish, because Jesus Christ really, truly is the answer. He is the answer. And you want to know where all those answers lie? Let me tell you this. Colossians chapter 2. I find that some of the greatest... I'm going to just digress for a moment to tell you this. If you've got hung up in Ezekiel, it's a great book, a great book. If you got hung up in Ezekiel trying to figure out all about Ezekiel, or you're spending all your time trying to find out what Daniel's 70 weeks mean, or you're just trying to struggle through Revelation to see if you can understand all that, let me tell you what you need to do. Just turn back to Jesus and learn more and more and more about him. <laughs> I can tell you, you can know the book of Revelation from chapter 1 through verse, verse 1 through chapter 22 at the end of the book. You can know it all, understand it all, and go to hell. I'm not saying if you do, it'll take you. I'm not saying it'll take you. I'm just saying you can know that. But if you know Jesus... And let him give you the answers. Let him be the one. Well, you need to dwell on who Jesus is, who he is in my life, who he can make me. How can I be more like him? How can I walk with him and understand him and know that he understands me? How can I fellowship with him? How can I have, develop a relationship with him that is personal and deep, powerful and intense? How can I get that relationship? And that's worth more than knowing every single prophecy is going to be fulfilled in the years to come. God will take care of that. You take care of knowing Jesus in your life. And this, this, is what, this is what the Bible says about what I just said to you. Colossians, I was going to say, if you want to find a place to read in the Bible that you can just read over and over and over and keep learning something new about it all the time, read Galatians. Start with Galatians. Read Ephesians. Read Philippians, read Colossians. And when you get through those four little short books, start over again and read them again. And if you get through it in a short period of time or even a long period of time, start over and read them again. Because you will not read too much in those four books. I'm not saying don't read anything else in the Bible. Obviously, I'm not. Don't convolute my words. I'm not saying there isn't importance in the Old Testament. I'm not saying there's nothing important about prophecy. But I read a statement that's written, that came from a book that was, I was seeing advertised and publicized. And it said something like this. What you believe about future prophecies will determine how you live your life for God. And that was written by a Christian author as an excerpt from his book. It didn't make me want to buy the book. It wanted me to make me tell other people, don't get that book. <laughs> 
I don't believe that's true at all. But I do believe that what you know about Jesus and what you learn about him, what comes real about him in your life, and what draws you closer to him, that's going to determine every step of your future, your victory or your defeat, your overcoming or your being tossed down. It's going to show you the way to walk and how to live when you learn what the Bible says about him. And when Paul reveals to you how in your life you can have a relationship with Jesus that is personal, that's deep, that's powerful, that's intense, that's illuminating, that gives you discernment and gives you understanding and puts you in the place of victory that nothing else will give you other than a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is developed in you by the Holy Spirit. And so this is what that verse says, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. He wants us, the Lord wants us to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Listen now. Let's say that again. God wants us, this is Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. God wants us to reach all the riches of full assurance. The riches of full assurance of understanding. He wants us to have understanding. And the full assurance of the riches of Christ. And the knowledge of God's mystery. What's the mystery that God wants you to understand? The mystery he wants you to totally understand is Jesus Christ. He's a mystery to the world. He's a mystery to the unbeliever. He's a mystery to many of the educators. But they want to tell you, do you see these, these special TV programs, the real Jesus, and you, the life of Jesus? And they're going to tell you all these things about the land he lived in and what kind of sandals he wore and what his, what his hair probably looked like. And all those things. But you read what the Apostle Paul tells you about Jesus. He's going to tell you how to be more like him. He's going to tell you how to talk to him, how to know him better, how to have him as an intimate friend in your life, how to let your life develop into the closest of a relationship with Jesus that changes you day by day, transforms you into a better and better and better person and makes you more and more and more victorious every day of your life. That's what the Bible's going to show you. And then the latter part of that, the next verse says, Let me go back on verse 2 again. He wants us to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him. Where are you going to find wisdom? In him. Where are you going to find knowledge? In him. Where are you going to find the treasures of revelation? In him. Because in Him, there's all wisdom, there's all knowledge, there's all revelation in Jesus Christ. And so the better you know Him, the more you know Him, the more you'll have that understanding, the clearer it will become. And it will be your life focused to glorify Jesus and walk with Him in the light of His presence and know that He's made a transformation in your life that makes everything in the world that you see and everything in the world that you inhabit to you different. And that's what you're concerned about if you want to find the answers to your life. So finding and knowing truth is finding and knowing Jesus Christ. Finding and knowing truth is finding and knowing Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you one last thing in closing. Be warned when the Apostle Paul said finally in the book of Philippians, he was just in the middle of the book. 
but I'm almost through. I'm going to give you this last part. Jesus is talking to the men that he's been with for three years. He's been teaching them, training them, teaching them how to be the executives of the kingdom, giving them all that he had within him. And so now he's getting ready to close to leave. He's in the upper room with them. And he says wonderful, powerful things to them. As he looks out upon them and, he's, and, he's, and he sees their lack and their need, he says, let not your... I'm giving you this from the King James. Anytime I quote scripture to you, it's going to almost always be from the King James because that's where I memorized them. I read them out of other places, but I quote them from King James because that's where I know them. So this is the King James. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, John chapter 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where you may be also. And then he said, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Oh, now when he said that, Thomas spoke up. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, Jesus wouldn't have said, you know where I'm going and you know the way, if he hadn't already taught them that. And they should have known it. They should have already grasped it a long time before now. So when he says, where I'm going, you know, you know where I'm going, and you know the way. Because it's all that's been taught to you. But Thomas speaks up and says, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We didn't get that lesson. We missed that, whatever, at least I did. We don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? Jesus said, Thomas. Thomas, listen, they try to make this clear to you, son. You want to know the way? I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Yes, you know me, and if you know me, you know the way. How do you get to heaven? Follow Jesus. How do you live in victory? Follow Jesus. He's the way. He's the way to glory. He's the way to every answer. Follow him. He is the way. And he's the truth. If you want to know what's true, when you match it up against the books that you have to buy to finish a class in college and spend $200 for it, or you have to go buy something on the Internet that you thought was free and they come to find out it cost you $199, and all that so they can tell you something that you should already know. Let me just tell you this, that the truth is one place that's in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the truth. And if you want to live forever, I can make you this promise. I can give you this guarantee. I can't do that on a lot of things, but I can give you this guarantee. I can make you this as a certainty. There's no change. There's no alteration. There's no possibility of this ever being disrupted. This guarantee is not going to run out. It's an eternal guarantee. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to live forever, your life is in Jesus Christ. In Him, that's where your eternal life is. Trust Him, live for Him, walk with Him. And when you do, you are walking the eternal life because it is in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, what? Many Christians don't believe, what many churches don't believe, what many denominations don't believe. 
what most of the world doesn't believe. He said, no man comes to the Father except by me. The only way you'll ever come in is through me, Jesus said. The world doesn't accept that. I do. I told you I'm a simple person. I know this is a simple thing, but that's it. The answer to everything that you're looking for in your life, that you've been searching for no matter how diligently or far, how far afield you've gone searching for it, whatever you've tried to find out the satisfaction that you need in your life, turn it all over to him and lay it at the cross. And I will tell you, for a certainty, with assurance, I will tell you, that you have truth, life, when you come to the one who is the only way to God. That's Jesus of Nazareth. Will you bow your heads with me, please, in prayer?